archived on the web at kmud.org. And I think I forgot to do that at the top of the last hour. My bad. Please don't tell the FCC. But in case someone does tell the FCC, please donate a bunch bunch of money to Kema to cover our lawyers' costs. We've got global stuff coming right up. remind you that the views and opinions expressed throughout the broadcast day on Redwood Community Radio are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the station staff, underwriters, or volunteers. Thank you so much for joining us and listen in at other times too because we're a good station. John Coltrane wheeling away in the background, as usual, on Blue Train. This is Global Stuff. My name's Jimmy Derschlag, and back in the studio and live, even in the middle of all these conditions, trying to uh, keep it so that our audience can participate. And I try to bring issues that have global import but are important to all of us. And before we start today's show, I do want to... uh, just give a shout out to all the people who are having to uh, put up with the weather out there and appreciate everyone being patient. And as they say, don't go out unless you have to and stay warm. And if your neighbors need help, help them out because these are very unusual conditions here. Uh, don't see a lot of snow like this very often in our area. So um 
I'm sure we'll all get through it, and the power will be back on, and all those other good things. Again, my name is Jimmy Derschlag, Global Stuff, the name of the show. Today, I'm uh, really pleased to welcome back. It's been a, a number of years since he's been on the show, but I'm glad to have back with us David Swanson, who's an author, activist, journalist, and radio host. He's the director of World Beyond War, a global nonviolent movement to end war and establish a just and sustainable peace. He also hosts a blog um uh, War is a Crime, and uh, he's a very prolific author, has written uh, many, I haven't lost count, 10 or 11 books. His most recent one that I just finished reading, uh, oh, you have to make an announcement first. You want to do that first? Yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot our underwriter. Donated, donors to KMUD include Vocality Credit Union, growing communities one voice at a time. Vocality now has two branches to better serve our community, located in downtown Garberville and on Perkins Street in the Pear Tree Center in Ukiah. For more information about financial counseling and banking services available, the website is vocalityccu.org. Okay, we took care of that. Very important. That's part of what keeps us going here. Um, Anyway, talking about David Swanson, his most recent book, just published this year, The Monroe Doctrine at 200 and What to Replace It With, which I just finished reading. Very interesting book, which we may get a chance to incorporate in. It has a lot to do with the history of uh, wars and militarism in uh, the United States and actually around the world. Uh, But the reason I asked David on the show is he recently participated last Sunday in Washington, D.C. He was one of the featured uh, speakers at Rage Against the War Machine Rally. That was there. But there's also, uh, I should welcome you to the show, David. Thanks so much for making the time to do this. <clears throat> Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, glad to have you back. I, I think the last time we had you on it was when you had just done an update for War is a Lie, uh, maybe in 2016. So it's it's been a while. But um, today is also a very important date, and there are uh, demonstrations happening around the uh, country uh, being uh, sponsored by Diffuse Nuclear War. So February 24th, you know what that's the anniversary of, I'm sure. Uh, I imagine you're talking about the Russian invasion in Ukraine. Um, of course, it's the anniversary of <laughs> countless things over the right, years. But, I'm sure. Uh, but DiffuseNuclearWar.org, uh, which is a coalition uh started up by rootsaction.org uh is uh doing events uh, all around the United States opposing the ever growing uh risk of of nuclear apocalypse um it's it, it it's just incredible to me uh the lack uh, of concern. Uh, the, the the national security advisor I just read assures us there's not the slightest risk of nuclear war. Same guy who assures us that Russia gave Trump the White House and that Russia blew up its own pipeline and numerous other things. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. Well, that goes into the, the war is a lie category, I guess. Uh, so, were you participating in any uh, of those events today or, or taking note of any? There were about, it uh, looked like there were around 19 to 20 events at very various locations, including uh, close to us, of course, not a surprise in the Bay Area. 
Uh, I'm glad there was something close to you. There wasn't anything close to me, unfortunately. Uh, it's a, it's a very big country, uh, which is one of the major problems we're always up against in trying to uh, constrain and restrain and get any sort of representation out of our supposedly representative government. So let's talk about this uh, uh, rally that happened uh, last Sunday in D.C., and you spoke at that, and uh, I read your speech. Uh, I, I guess they they had so many speakers, you didn't get a lot of time there, but uh, but uh, said some really important things. I, I think one of the basic things, and we've talked about this a lot, which is, as you say, it's so hard to understand, is the problem, the, uh, quoting you, the problem, the only thing we should be calling an enemy is the very idea that there can be a right side to the toxic tango of organized mass murder that is every war. And I know the focus of the rally uh, last Sunday was to uh and the funding for the war in Ukraine. Um, and what are your general impressions uh, coming away from that? Or talk about, you, you know, with the, the event and, and what it meant. Well, the question is generally what it will lead to. Uh, you know, there's uh, often a, a a buildup over over months, if not years, of an anti-war movement Uh to becoming something big enough uh, to really threaten the war machine, uh, to really end a war. And, uh, you know, and there are buildups that never reach that point. And so, you know, the question is what will be built on it? Because uh, it was probably the biggest uh, anti-war rally in the United States uh, in in some years, uh, certainly uh, in the past year, uh, and certainly in regard to the war in Ukraine. Um, but, you know, the, I, I don't think there's another nation on earth that wouldn't be uh, ashamed of how tiny it was, uh, you know, and there have been major uh, rallies uh, in some European countries uh, and elsewhere against this war uh and you know these are countries with much smaller populations although perhaps uh, to some extent more concentrated near a capital city uh but still you know we we just haven't had anything resembling what we had in 2002 to 2005 or 6 uh since then uh and that didn't compare to what we had in the late 60s which didn't compare to what we had in the 20s you know and and never have we had what we should have had uh in terms of mobilization to to end wars so it's you know it's a start it's encouraging that um you had some people willing to organize a rally and speak against war. I was grateful to be invited to be one of the speakers. I'm, I was glad to see, you know, 10 seconds of my speech on some corporate television networks like NBC, uh, that as far as I know, that was the first 10 seconds they've had of an anti-war voice <laughs> since, uh, you know, in the past 12 months or more. So, uh, you know, every little bit may help, may not, but it may, you know. So there were a, a number of demands that were put out uh, before the uh, the event, and I'm sure were highlighted uh, during the event. And and I'd, what you were saying, just to 
to take one step back uh, about the crowds that came out. I saw estimates of, and you were there, of like one to three thousand, which is a pretty big range, and it's like you say, a, a large demonstration, but not nearly as much as uh, there could have been or probably should have been. Uh, but uh, the 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 top demand, not one more penny for war in Ukraine, and one of the things that. I'm pretty amazed about in the coverage of this whole situation is what seems to be um, an assumption in the media, whether it's liberal or what's on CNN or MSNBC or on Fox or anywhere else, that we have to support the Ukrainians. It's it's that, and the way to do that is by sending them weapons. In the and the argument is seems to be. What kind of weapons we're going to send, and how much, how many weapons we're going to send, and not questioning the whole notion of whether it makes any sense to be sending any weapons there, and and so that, and I imagine there's a lot of pushback of this notion that you don't want to support Ukraine. Well, I, I mean, we've been saying the same damn things over and over and over again for 12 months, and we can keep saying them. I, of course, agree with you 100 uh, percent. And, you know, the fraction of a percent of people that I've been able to reach through hundreds and hundreds of radio shows and webinars, you know, uh, agree in large part. Uh, the, the problem is how do you get uh, the number of eyes and ears uh, and repeated saturation coverage uh, with a message uh, to change anything, because at the rate we're reaching people with our webinars, you know, we're going to be in another century by the time we reach enough people, even if everybody remembers everything and never changes their mind and never falls victim <laughs> to the propaganda again. Uh, and so this is the hope with a rally is that you you spark some sort of a break through to the the larger more corrupt and offensive corporate media outlets that reach larger numbers of people sadly um but yes of course obviously one has to support ukrainians and we've all been indoctrinated with the notion that you say the phrase support ukrainians with regard to an activity that absolutely devastates uh, Ukrainians uh, and which many Ukrainians oppose and the vast majority of humans on earth oppose, albeit most of them living outside the so-called international community of the United States and its subservient weapons customers. Um, But, you know, you have to you, you have to have been indoctrinated with the pretense that that all evil resides in Russia, that Russia steals U.S. elections, uh, that Russia is a malevolent imperial force. Uh, <laughs> there is some truth to that, but it doesn't compare with a certain other malevolent imperial force. Uh, and with the idea that the United States tries to make peace in the world uh, and, and you have to actively erase the memory of all the even mainstream, even current top U.S. government officials predicting year after year, decade after decade, that that steps were being taken to get the United States uh, just to this point, to get Russia to invade Ukraine. You have to you have to shred uh, from your memory. Rand Corporation reports strategizing how to make this happen. You have to ignore all the media coverage and top officials and former 
prime ministers uh, it, admitting that last spring, uh, you know, almost a year ago, the U.S. and the U.K. were actively preventing what was very close to a negotiated settlement. You, you have to ignore uh, former presidents of, of countries like Germany uh, admitting that the the agreement, uh, the Minsk II agreements, the you know, the the pretense that there was going to be some effort for peace was all a stalling tactic to prepare for war. Uh and and you have to accept the U.S. pretense that it's just Ukraine demanding that the war go on and that the U.S. has a moral obligation to do whatever Ukraine demands of it, uh, as if the U.S. has not been preventing uh, negotiations and insisting that the war go on uh, and promising endless unlimited free weapons to keep it going on. Uh, and, and and you have to have no understanding of nonviolent activism uh, and alternatives uh, to mass violence. Um, you, you have to engage in nonviolent activism denial in the way that you're you're not supposed to engage in climate denial. You're supposed to look at the facts uh, and. You know, but if you're if you're saturated with the coverage and it's very, very slick and humanitarian, uh, I I mean, a year ago, we went in a matter of two or three days from most people not knowing what Ukraine was, being unable to find it on a map, really not giving a damn, never having heard of the place uh, to random people on the street wanting to talk to you about their urgent moral concern for for waging war on behalf of the people of Ukraine. I mean, that's that's incredibly powerful propaganda skills. That's an amazing feat. Uh, You've got you've got German tanks that the the very image of evil in U.S. cinema uh, turned into a moral necessity in a matter of days uh, just weeks ago by this propaganda machine. This is what we're up against. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, that uh, discussion of uh, we've got to send them these tanks. You know, how are we going to work it out with all these countries to make sure they get the tanks? Uh, that's a great image of all the war movies that have been there that are showing the, the destruction uh, power of, of German tanks. I want to remind the listeners, this is Global Stuff. My name's Jimmy Derschlag. My guest for the show, David Swanson, author, activist, journalist. Um, he uh, hosts a blog called uh, War is a Crime and has written many, many books. His latest one them just out this year, The Monroe Doctrine at 200 and What to Replace It With. We're talking about the... Uh, rally that he participated in uh, last Sunday in Washington, D.C., where several thousand people came together, rage against the war machine, to um, oppose the war further, furthering and supporting the war in Ukraine and trying to uh, propose um, some alternatives to that. Uh, The second item on on the list of things was negotiate peace. And you brought up uh, the Minsk agreement, which happened, or the uh, discussions, I guess. It, it, did it ever even come to agreement that would have stopped the war from happening had it been agreed to at all? But there have been a number of efforts at peace negotiations even since 
the Russian invasion. Um, what have you seen any any progress in that front? I mean, to say something like negotiate peace is, you know, a phrase like, yeah, great, let's negotiate peace. But how does that get done? Well, first of all, yes, the Minsk II agreement was an agreement agreed to by Ukraine, by Russia, by uh, European powers. It, it was an international agreement, a treaty, a, uh, a, a, a significant uh, law binding nations to agreed upon behaviors, including binding Ukraine to allow uh, the Donbass region to have autonomy, to largely self-govern. Uh, Ukraine did not comply, violated uh, the Minsk II agreement. Uh, Ukraine uh, engaged in uh, military attacks uh, on the Donbass for eight years <laughs> following uh, a, a U.S.-facilitated coup uh, that put in power a government that immediately began threatening uh, Russian-speaking people and uh, and their rights uh, and uh, the 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 regions of the nation that they dominated. Um, and you know this was this was an agreement that was better than anything Ukraine could now hope for. Um, and if your if your agenda involved actual concern for democracy and and the stability and sustainability of a peaceful arrangement, uh, you would want just what it had in it. You would want uh, Crimea and the eastern provinces of Ukraine to be able to decide for themselves fairly and credibly to the agreement of all uh, how they would be governed. And, And this was a perfect compromise. They'll, you know, Crimea will be part of Russia as everybody and their cousin knows Crimea would have overwhelmingly voted any time in recent decades and still would for decades to come. You know, not a single proponent of the idea that the seizure of Crimea is the worst crime in the history of the century uh, has ever proposed that the people of Crimea vote again. Because as soon as you propose that they vote again, you know darn well how they're going to vote. They're going to be part of Russia. But the eastern uh, provinces of Ukraine uh, were to be part of Ukraine, but to have a great deal of autonomy, to have a federalist sort of arrangement, not to become part of Russia, not to be uh, completely governed by eastern Ukraine, but uh, western Ukraine, but to be largely autonomous uh you know this 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 had a, the, the best shot at peace and and any any compromise proposed whether it's the one just proposed by china or the dozens and dozens of uh, of them proposed by other nations and groups of nations and individuals and scholars and institutes and activist groups uh for a year now uh, are all roughly the same. I mean, it's not rocket science, right? You 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 de-escalate. You you get Ukraine to agree not to become part of a military alliance like NATO. You get Russia to agree to get its military out of Ukraine. You know, both sides compromise. Uh, this is how you negotiate. Uh, and, and you know, the problem is that once you've had the West confessing 
that it just lies through its teeth, that it agreed to Minsk too with no intention of of abiding by it. Uh, you know that uh, anything it says to to Russia is a strategic lie. Well, then how do you how do you sit down and negotiate if, if the other side has no reason to believe you? Uh, and the same could be said <laughs> about Russia, right? Russia said, "Oh, we won't in we won't invade. You're you're a bunch of liars. We would never invade Ukraine," and then invaded Ukraine. Right. And had been planning to invade Ukraine. Uh, And and so you need demonstrable steps. You need actual verifiable actions, uh, I think, just to get to the negotiating table at this point. Uh, You need demilitarization. You need nuclear capable missile bases taken out of Poland and Romania. You need to hold off on piling more nations like Sweden and Finland into NATO Uh, and on the other side, you need Russia to back off with its assault on on Ukraine just to get to the negotiating table at this point. Um, but the alternative, you know, the alternative is endless war. I mean, there isn't any end in sight. The 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 imminent victory predicted by the U.S. Uh, media machine day after day for a year is nowhere in sight. The imminent victory predicted by the Russian media for a year is nowhere in sight. Uh, But the risk of nuclear escalation continues to grow. So, you know, it's a it's a choice uh, of whether we want to try to survive and to undo all the all the economic damage that's impacting the world, all the environmental damage. The incredible impediment to cooperation on non-optional crises like disease epidemics and climate collapse, you know, you, you, there, there is no moral justification for continuing this thing. Uh, and it gets harder and harder to, to put an end to it. But it, it, it's not that difficult to know what needs to be done. Uh, it's just difficult to get these people to do it. The will, creating the will. But as you say, there's so many challenges for us that that have commonality that get derailed by all this funding and focus on war. Um, You know, some of the other, uh, I should should say, demands, they were stated as demands that were raised at this uh, rally that happened in Washington, the Rage Against the War Machine rally last Sunday, uh, Stop the War Inflation, which we could talk about endlessly and have on this show all the money that goes into that. But you've brought up NATO, and we also have talked on this show about NATO on, on several occasions. And actually, in in your uh, recent book, The Moreau Doctrine 200 and What to Replace It With, mentions NATO several times. It also mentions that the basic NATO cha- charter, like the UN charter and others, uh, it starts with the premise that you don't uh, want to have you want to uh, are against any invasions or uh, promotions of war. So this whole notion of disbanding NATO, what, I know that Russia certainly was it Clinton who told Russia that they were not knew Russia was going to react if it if NATO expanded and and promised there would be no expansion and yet. It has expanded and and is one of the major impetuses behind um, Russian retaliation. But go into that some of the analysis of NATO, what it does, and and uh, and how it's 
created a situation where there's actually more military action? Well, I think the initial promise not to expand NATO one inch east uh, predates Clinton, but the the early major violations of that promise uh, were overseen by Clinton uh, and have been ongoing ever since. Um, and, and you know, it, it is ironic that you have you have the UN Charter uh, ban war. Uh, with a couple of narrow exceptions that uh, are not met by any wars, but are exploited uh, with the suggestion that somehow they've been met. Uh, And then you have the NATO charter uh, explicitly cite and quote and defer to the UN charter and claim to uh, adhere to it and agree with its ban on war while being set up as Nothing other than an alliance uh, that will require countries to get into each other's wars. Uh, the very same madness that created World War One and numerous other wars. Uh, and 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 you have in U.S. media and in the Congress and general U.S. political discussion uh, this general confusion uh, that when a war involves NATO. There's something more legal about it so so that NATO actually displaces the U.N. as an entity uh, that somehow legalizes the worst crime there is, Uh, which, you know, you can understand the madness of this if you if you bring it down to a human scale. Right. If you go rob the, the local convenience store, it's a crime. If you get 18 people to join with you and bring a bunch of cars and guns and and strip the local convenience store bare, it's a bigger crime. It's not now acceptable and legalized. It, this is what NATO is. It's a criminal gang. Uh, it's getting a bunch of o- other countries to join in forcibly to join in uh, a war. Uh, and what NATO has done in Yugoslavia and Libya and Afghanistan uh, and elsewhere has, you know, has nothing to do with defending democracy against against evil tyrants. Uh, it's, you know, it's an imperial force uh, and it, it ought to be disbanded. It, it ought never to have existed. But when its justification for decades was as a counter to the Warsaw Pact, to the Soviet Union's military gang of uh, of war criminals, and that one went out of business, NATO lost its you know its best excuse for existing and just went on existing, uh, and now has you know marketed itself uh, as somehow. You know, a global police force uh, enforcing the rule of law. Well, these these countries have no interest in the rule of law. Uh, The United States and Russia uh, are the two big employers of the veto in the Security Council, are the two major weapons suppliers to brutal regimes around the globe, uh, are the two biggest violators of 
major disarmament and human rights treaties and laws against war uh, are party to fewer treaties than just about any other country, uh, you know, are, are leading rogue nations uh, and each now wants a special tribunal to prosecute the other's crimes, which is, you know, is victor's justice without any victors. It's not it's not the rule of law. I want to remind listeners again, this is Global Stuff. My name's Jimmy Derschlag, and my guest for this show is David Swanson, author, activist, journalist, radio host. Um, he's director of World Beyond War. That's a global nonviolent movement to end war and uh, is the author of, a prolific author, I don't know where you find the time with all the other things you do, of many, many books. His most recent just came out this year. Uh, the Monroe Doctrine and 200 and what to replace it with, which has been used many times over the years, although not necessarily its original intent to uh, justify wars and has been discussed and debated. We may get some time to get into that a little bit. We're talking about the Rage Against the War Machine uh, rally that happened last Sunday in D.C. and some of the demands that were put forward there. It was uh, a lot of people from you know, you say the right and the left, and it's hard to classify everybody as to what they fit into. But it it was an attempt to, I think, cross over and get a a variety of speakers there. Although before we get into that, you said that we do have one caller. Yeah. Uh, hi, you're on the air. You have a question or oh, comment? Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm so glad for this conversation. I... Uh... I've been asking for a, a long time. Who told the first lie? And what was it? And I, I wasn't getting, I wasn't appreciating the answers. And, and then finally, I, so, so I had to figure it out myself. The, because this is very important that we understand that we've been lying to each other. We've been p- pretending the first lie was the lie of separation, right? That we thought we were separate. I mean, it was in the Bible, right? And so I'm so grateful to know that there was that demonstration in Washington. I have been to Washington, D.C. many times for, for, to object. And um, we're... You know, I think it's so important. You know, sometimes I put an all sides now on, and I, I really want to say that we're all on the same side. Okay. Do you let uh, maybe uh, David has yeah. a comment on that? I can't hear you very well, but um, I'm trying. You know, so I, I'll I'll turn myself off so that I can hear you better. Okay. Because there's something a little bit fuzzy with the radio. Thank you so much for being there. Yeah, thanks for your comment. I don't know, David, do you have a, a comment to that? We're all on the same side, I guess, is what she's saying. Although I, I think the first lie was I didn't take a bite out of that, but uh, that apple. <laughs> but, you know, that's also sexist. The Bible starts out very sexist that way. Well, needless to say, humanity is a lot older than uh, written books. Uh, (laughs) And nonetheless, war lying may be the second oldest profession. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, But, 
but it's uh, but it's one that was rare, you know, (laughs) for most of the existence of this species. uh, There wasn't anything that resembled war. Uh, And since there has been something called war for 99 percent of that recent historical epoch, it hasn't resembled current war. Uh, You know, the the technology, the the approach, the the massive assaults uh, on uh, on cities and towns, uh, you know, there, there was nothing like this just decades ago. Um, and the lies about it, uh, have, you know, there's some, there's some consistency. I wrote a book called war is a lie looking at the history of all the lies. Uh, but there, there's some, some novelty as well. Uh, and we've been moved more and more, uh, into the pretense, uh, that war is some sort of philanthropic operation, uh, you know, uh, uh, just less than a century ago, uh, you know, you had U.S. leaders uh, openly, proudly, shamelessly demanding war, any war, give me a war, war is good for our character, we need more wars, uh, we need wars to keep down the lesser races, uh, we need wars to to shed the blood of the, of, of the evil foreigners. Uh, and, and of course, you, you still couldn't get a lot of people in the U.S. to support a war if that wasn't what they were quietly thinking. Uh, but, uh, you know, the the person, the Donald Trump who will openly say we really need to slaughter their families is is a rarity now and is thought of as rather uncouth. Uh, and the wars uh, are marketed as, you know, as good foreign relations, as neighborliness, you know, what if you, if you, if you don't have NATO and wars, what are you going to do? Isolate yourself from the world as if the only way to interact with, (laughs) with other people is to bomb them, right? Right. As if there's, there's no other way to, to collaborate on anything. Uh, and, this is, you know, this is very new, um, and it's, you know, it's sold a, uh, it's sold a good many people on, on war. Most, uh, you know, most of the people who've opposed wars in the past twenty years, in particular, exactly twenty years ago, uh, in the United States, not around the world, but in the United States, support uh, the war in Ukraine. Let me jump in here because we do have another caller. I guess I don't even have to give out the numbers. People have started on their own. Do you have a, a brief comment or question for David? Yeah, we have your numbers, Jimmy. <laughs> hey, yeah, I do have two questions. One is I would really like to hear a summary of the demands from the D.C. event that you we're talking about, you know, just a quick, this yeah. is what the sense of the group was as far as demands. And the second question I have is, uh, you know, negotiations to end the war, great, all for it. How do we get there? What are the steps between where we are now and a peace table? 
Yeah, I kind of asked that a little bit uh, earlier, but uh, I don't know that we really got a, a clear answer to that because not because there aren't steps, but, you know, it's the will of the governments involved. Um, I can read the demands quickly Whether it, as we start out. Not one more penny for the war in Ukraine. Negotiate peace is another. Stop the war. Inflation, another. Disband NATO, we were just talking about. Global nuclear de-escalation, which we could talk about a lot, slash the Pentagon budget, abolish the CIA and military industrial deep state, abolish war and empire, uh, restore civil liberties. And the final one, it's kind of its own category, free Julian Assange. So those were, I think, 10 demands that were put out there. Do you want to address any more? The the notion of uh, David of how we get to the negotiation table. Right. What happens? Who does it? What can we do to make it happen? You know the mechanics of waging peace. You there, David? Well, I, I I'm here. I was waiting for the question to finish. Yeah. Uh, if you if you didn't catch all those demands, you can go to rageagainstwar.com and read them uh, and watch the videos from the event. Uh, and everyone there had uh, endless advice on what you can do. One thing you can do is join with local peace groups where you are and take part in the endless and growing series of educational and activist events uh, happening around this war. Contacting elected officials pushing them, contacting the media, pushing it. Uh, you can work with worldbeyondwar.org, which is a group I work in, or countless others. Uh, you know, the president of Ukraine is now going to meet with the president of China, who's proposing, you know, a basic, sensible uh, compromise negotiated agreement, uh, very similar to, to those that everybody else has has thought of for, you know, over a year now and, and quite similar to the agreement that was in place before the war. Uh, and, you know, I, I think with the United States providing most of the weaponry for one side and most of the pro-war propaganda for one side, the United States has a key role and people have a key role uh, in making demands of the U.S. government uh, here in the U.S. If if you're in Russia, you know, your top priority is moving the Russian government. Uh, but if you're in the United States, uh, you know, you've you've got to be demanding an end to the weapons shipments uh, and an end to the efforts at blocking uh, a, a ceasefire and negotiations. Uh, you can't, you know, you have a president going over there and promising endless unlimited weapons uh, for as long as it takes, whatever that it may be. Uh, and this is the opposite of helpful. Uh, you have to have you have to have the United States and or Russia taking steps to make themselves credible as participants in a rule based as President Biden likes to say a rules based order. Well, there are rules, you know, start join the International Criminal Court uh, back 
the the prosecution and in, the investigation and prosecution of crimes on all sides, not one side. Uh, take steps to rejoin the many treaties that have been shredded. Uh, take steps to demilitarize Eastern Europe rather than to continue pouring weapons and troops into nations right on the border of Russia. This is the opposite of helpful. Uh, you know, we we. I, I, it's not that difficult to see what's needed, in my humble opinion. It's a question of uh, of building the pressure. We need bigger rallies. We need more contacts uh, to the media, more contacts to Congress. Uh, to the, the, the same basic tools that have always changed the world, we've got to use them. And as you mentioned in, uh, I'm sure, many of your writings, but it also comes up in uh, your latest uh, book, um, the Monroe Doctrine of 200 and what to replace it with is that many of the UN treaties um, that are promoting, uh, you know, peaceful resolutions or um, that uh, promote, uh, you know, understanding between people are ones that the U- United States is not one of the few nations not participating, often in the minority of of some of those U- UN human rights uh uh, resolutions. Yeah, the United States is the major outlaw, rogue nation, uh, based on all the the basic evidence. While it promotes itself as the arbiter of the rules based order and the capo of the of the international community, but if you look at basic human rights treaties, the major treaties of the world, the United States uh, is party to. Uh, fewer than almost any other nation is, is, you know, tied for for last place with uh, with, I think, South Sudan uh, and uh, the United States in the past several decades is far and away the the chief uh, user of the veto blocking uh, sensible, peaceful, uh, cooperative uh, measures from even coming to the floor at the UN Security Council. The United States is far and away the top supplier of weaponry to dictatorships and so-called democracies around the world. Uh, you know, why not try leading by example? Why not attempt a teeny bit of democracy here or there in the United States, you know, when you've got over 80 percent of people in the United States wanting Congress members not to buy and sell stocks uh, and Congress won't bring it to a vote, uh, you know, by all means, go bomb somebody in the name of democracy. But but don't expect anyone to believe it. You know, there's there's a reason why uh, most of the world, uh, the the global south and uh, the east uh, is not supporting uh, this war, not supporting either side of this war. Uh, They don't see it as enforcing rules. They see it as competing imperial forces they see it as as criminal gangs uh weighing their muscles against each other uh not as a a policeman going after a you know a dastardly criminal again i want to remind the listeners this is global stuff my name is jimmy dershlake uh, thanks to Michael McCaskill, as he usually does here on a Friday night and puts in so much time. And our guest is David Swanson, 
um, who's author of many, many books and uh, anti-war activists. Uh, we're talking about his participation in the rally last Sunday in D.C., the Rage Against the War Machine. Um, not a lot of time left in the show. We do have another caller. Hi, welcome to the show. And nine two three three nine one one for people who don't know. Yeah, I was going to say that, but we didn't seem to need to. <laughs> yeah, hi. Um, I thank you guys. Uh, great show. I just have a couple of questions. Um, how does how did Hunter Biden fit in all this so far in the Ukraine, and uh, and does and does the petrodollar have anything to do with the conflict over there? Um, anyway, so thank you very much, and I'll just staying up and uh, listen. Okay, David. Uh, well, there's no question uh, that this is about dollars, petro or otherwise. There's no question that uh, determining who controls the markets uh, for fuels is a major part of this. Uh, the planning, uh, if we if we look at Seymour Hersh's reporting, and I have been offered absolutely zero reason not to by anyone, uh, there's nothing more credible out there. Uh, the the planning for uh, sabotaging the uh, Nord Stream pipelines uh, happened before the Russian invasion, uh, and the the acting on it continued uh, right through. Um, you know, the, the United States is seeking to impoverish Europe and enrich itself uh, while destroying the Earth's climate. Uh, and this is a justification uh, for war and for the for the act of war against Germany. Uh, of blowing up these pipelines, uh, you know this is this is quite openly uh, has been for over a year uh, a major motivation of the U.S. government. They make no secret about it, uh, and you know had uh, had either the United States or Russia uh, sought to help lead Ukraine and the world away. Uh, from these destructive but quite profitable energy sources, uh, they would have had the world's uh, backing, at least the popular world. Um, but uh, you know, these are these have been competing uh, oil interests, and, and of course, it's all backfired, and the 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 sanctions uh, and the sabotage have resulted in. Higher profits and uh, and uh, you know the, the Ukraine is is suffering economically and much of the world is suffering economically uh, as much as Russia is. But uh, you know there's there's no question, uh, and they really don't make a secret, even while pretending that this is humanitarian and democracy promoting. Uh, they make no secret that this is also about money and oil. He also mentioned Hunter Biden, I guess, involvement in Ukraine or, or Russia. Did you have any comment on that? Well, there's no question that the Bidens have been corruptly involved uh, in Ukraine uh, for years. Uh, there's no question that, uh, you, you know, you can only get impeached as a U.S. president if you do something somehow uh 
you know, anti-war, uh, and it was slowing down weapons shipments uh, to Ukraine that got Donald Trump impeached one of his two times. Um, but I think the I think the most interesting thing about Hunter Biden, so much as so far as I know, and I claim no expertise on Hunter Biden, uh, is the extent to which the U.S. corporate media united around lying about his computer. Uh, because there was an election about to happen, you know, I'm I'm reminded of uh, 2004 when the New York Times uh, kept quiet about mass surveillance by the NSA because there was an election about to happen, and you know, Kerry might have beaten Bush if the New York Times had told people they were all being spied on. Uh, you know, the exact opposite of what the New York Times said when it released the the Pentagon Papers. It said we might have been ashamed if people found out we had them and didn't release it, you know. Right. So, the, you know, times change and they really and it's really a high point. The the censorship, the 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 lying about uh, Hunter Biden because it might impact an election, uh, you know, and it and it's of course completely hypocritical because they pick and choose which things they want to trumpet from the rooftops and which things to hush up. Both in both cases, because there's about to be an election. You know, there's not a lot of time left, and and I just I feel like I need to bring up the fact that there has been some pushback about this rally and uh, a claim that it's a it was a platform primarily for far right conspiracism. That was the article that it, one of the articles published in Daily Cost by a guy named David Newert. Uh, mostly be a platform for far-right conspiracy, pro-Putin propaganda, which seemed to me a little extreme, and I was surprised by that. I like to see, uh, you know, people talking from different points of view and uh, agreeing on something like uh, anti-war, but this article is claiming that this uh, really was a pro-Russian, pro-Putin, Putin rally, even saying something which I definitely think does not apply to you, said that they're, the, each of the speakers uh, has a record of extremism that ultimately supports right, far-right causes and, and gives a list of some of the speakers and some of the things they've done, even raises the whole notion of, of the the party, the Libertarian Party that was founded by Lyndon LaRouche, you know, claimed anti-Semite. What about that, that pushback? Did, did, does that uh, where is that coming from? Do you feel there's any justification for that? You know, I was just moments ago reading this new book by David Courtright called A Peaceful Superpower about how the anti-war movement grew in you know, 2002 about Iraq. And it starts out with rallies organized by the Answer Coalition, which Mr. Courtright says he went to because it was the only game in town, but he didn't like Answer and he didn't want to be seen with Answer. But it was a peace rally. It was for peace. He couldn't stay home. He had to go. Well, this is how I feel about a peace rally. If there's hundreds of them, uh, you know, let me pick and choose. I'll go to the one where I don't have to go near anybody I might disagree with. Or maybe I won't. Maybe I'll pick to go to one where there's uh, an array of opinions and there's going to be people there I, I disagree with because it shows a, a broader uh, front. Uh, there's a case to be made either way. I don't I don't minimize the disagreements I have with people. I, I'm deeply offended by libertarianism, by racism, by sexism, 
by American flags, by Russian flags, by all kinds of things. But I've never, ever been to a peace rally where I agreed with all the speakers. Uh, you know, I, I've I've spoken on stages with Congress members who did one thing ever that I knew of that I agreed with, and that was come be on that stage. That's it. You know, I've, right. and I've never been to a peace rally where all the speakers opposed all war. It's always people who oppose that war and love lots of other wars, you know, and and so obviously uh, there's exaggeration and simplification and smearing and lying going on. And there were lots of speakers there uh, who support peace pretty darn well. uh, And there was not uh, a word said by any of them uh, to the contrary. Um, And and you can't, of course, you can't, of course, strictly speaking, blame the organizers for somebody who happens to show up in the crowd because it's a public space. Um, but, you know, if if we can do anything to lower the risk of nuclear apocalypse, we have to do it. Uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to support every peace rally there is uh, and I'm going to to explain my views as clearly as I can. And, uh, but you have to be willing to be with people you disagree with on other things. You have to look to, uh, the, the black Panthers and the Confederate, uh, white folks in Chicago getting together and forming a rainbow coalition around, issues that they had in common. Uh, I mean, this is basic organizing. Uh, you, you, you got to, you got to be willing to, uh, you know, to organize against war with anybody, uh, who will oppose a war and try to nudge them in the process, uh, to become, you know, better people on opposing all wars and on other topics. Um, but this notion that you have to live in a bubble and not go near people you disagree with, uh, you know, and and most of this coming from people who haven't lifted a finger for the peace movement and are just devoting their right. energies to to dividing it. You know, I, I, I have limited patience for it. It's certainly hard for me to believe that that rally was in any way a, a Russian, you know, a support for Russia and Putin, which was the claim in that article. It seems a, a little extreme to me. If I made that same speech in Russia, I'd be ro- widely accused of being paid by the CIA. You know, I make it in Washington, D.C. I'm in the pay of the Kremlin. But <laughs> either way, I don't actually get a, a dime, you know. <laughs> right. Where's the money? Right. Show Where me the is money. all this money? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we need to wrap this up. I really Really appreciate you making the time to be with us, uh, David Swanson, author, activist, journalist, radio host, um, director of World Beyond War. You can go to War is a Lie, War is a Crime. dot org um, is one of the websites, and World Beyond War. dot org. Uh, see his his posts and uh, blog and and articles, and uh, check out his books. I really enjoyed the one on the Monroe Doctrine, uh, which just 
discusses the whole history of that from 18, even before 1823 and all the ways it's been used and all the corollaries and an interesting uh, uh, way to see the, uh, the, the different presidents and uh, their own doctrines that they proposed related to war and also a history of the U.S. involvement in this hemisphere uh, particularly. So I, I highly recommend that to people to, to check it out as all his other books. Um, thanks so much uh, for making the time to be with us, David. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks to the callers and to Michael McCaskill for engineering. We've got, uh, they're flying in here, Shaka and Shaila on a wing and a prayer coming up uh, next. This has been Global Stuff. My name's Jimmy Derschlag. It is 7.59, a quick update on the road situation. It says, Highway 101 will remain closed overnight north of Confusion Hill to Highway 1 in northern Mendocino, although I hear that the junction is closed. You can't just scoot down to Highway 1 and go there. Dangerous road conditions persist in areas around Humboldt and Mendocino that are above sea level, resulting in...